Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 24th. What a night of action we just had in Australia. Through the first four days, we did have that chaotic 88 match day two, and certainly that was a lot of fun to monitor, to talk about on our Mini Break podcast. But now that we've had some upsets, now that the nitty gritty has finally taken place, it feels like this first Grand Slam of the 2020 season officially on underway. So much action to recap from great five-set matches to upsets of the top seeds. Top to bottom, just a great day of tennis. Joining me to break it all down, you know him as the co-host of these mini-break podcasts, a former superstar Denison men's tennis player, and of course a man we affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the mini-break. Good take, bad take, hot take. The Australian Open has now officially started. Ooh. Uh, I'm okay with that. I like that take. It has officially started. You got seeds clashing. You've got crazy matches. Uh, now it feels like a major, right? This is what we've come to expect. We recap these upsets every day. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties yesterday, so people didn't get to hear our part of this conversation. But in terms of recapping the upsets on the men's and women's side going into this day, I don't think any of the top 10 seeds outside of Berrettini had lost. And, you know, Berrettini losing the five-set match that he did with all due respect to him, I don't think we considered him a title contender coming into this tournament. But this was the first day on both the ATP and the WTA side, particularly on the WTA, we saw title contenders go down. That's obviously going to be a big theme of the topics we are covering here today, but the match we are going to start with, Jamie, the thriller down under, John Millman, hometown crowd, taking on the number three seed, Roger Federer. Uh, For those of you who may remember, it was, I think, two years ago, 2018 now, that Roger Federer lost to John Millman at the U.S. Open, third or fourth round. I think it was fourth. don't remember the exact specifics, but so there was some history between these two players, and we got everything we could ask for as uh, fans of tennis. Now, for Roger Federer, you look at his portion of the draw, and everyone thought, is he going to potentially get to that quarterfinal clash with Stefano Tsitsipas, or not with Tsitsipas, excuse me, but is he going to get to his quarterfinal clash without dropping a set? You look at the seeds who had fallen in his section, Shapovalov, Berrettini, both knocked out already. He got all he could handle and more from John Millman. Roger Federer taking the match 4-6-7-6-4-6-6-4-7-6-10-8. I think I flipped those third and fourth sets. Nevertheless, Jamie, (laughs) I mean... What a match from from Fed. Yeah, this was a really good match. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of worlds where Millman wins this match, right? Um, you know, we can get into the point by point, but I mean, this really, really, really could have gone either way. We talk about tight margins. Um, this is as narrow as they get. Um, Federer, honestly, lucky to be alive after this one. If you want to talk total points, yeah, it is as close as you can get. John Millman, 178 points. Roger Federer, 181. Uh, big point in the match. Millman took an 8-4 lead in the third set breaker. We'll get to that in a second. 
Uh, but Jamie, what I learned from this match, and this really was Federer's first test of the 2020 season through the, his first two matches, hadn't dropped the set, had really coasted through both of them as well. In this one, what what I noticed, I would say more than anything, is how physical John Millman made this match and the effect it had on Roger Federer. I have never seen Federer hit more slice forehands than I did in this one. Yeah, I respect that. No, I mean, it, it really <laughs> did take a toll on him. Um, and, you know, his age started to show in this one. This one, honestly, this is great timing for this because listeners, if you remember from our uh, good take, bad take segment yesterday, one of the things that I had brought up was, okay, are these three guys, Fed, Nadal, Djokovic, are they as good as they were 10 years ago? Or would those, you know, let's call them 2010, 2011 versions of themselves beat themselves? Are they better? To me, this was a very clear answer of yes. 2011 Fed would not have been in this situation, and he would have, I don't know, let, I wouldn't say stomp on Millman in this match, but it would not have been a 10-8 win in a fifth set breaker. Well, the obvious caveat to that is Roger Federer is a couple of years older than those guys, and that's uh, particularly significant when you talk about a 28-year-old versus sure. a 38-year-old against, you know, tw- 33 versus being 23. Just the, that those margins a little bit different. But yes, I agree with you. For Roger Federer, it wasn't just the forehand slice. What that was indicative of is how much defense he was forced to play in this match. He seemed content a lot of the time just trying to get the slice backhand to the Millman, uh, get his slice backhand return, excuse me, to the Millman backhand, just make the rallies go backhand to backhand with Millman. He didn't want to give him a forehand because that's when John Millman would really start to get Federer stretched on the outer thirds of the court. But Federer did play, you know, if you're aging, the thing you have to do, you have to protect your serve. That's half the battle. He did just that in this match. He made 65% of his first serves, won 77% of those points, 51% on the second serve, 3 of 10 on break points, 46 of 64 at the net for 72% conversion rating, uh, 62 winners, all on surface level, good Roger Federer numbers, but then you start to look at some of the bad things. 82 unforced errors. Undoubtedly, he got tired in this match. He started pressing in that fourth set in particular, in the fifth set, and to his credit, he got broken in the fifth set, but he got the break back. Um, I mean, he had to move forward. He had to bull rush the net because Millman did a great job of exposing Roger Federer and extending the match physically. Now, Roger Federer made the finals of Wimbledon last year, but you look now over his past three hardcourt majors, fourth round 2018 U.S. Open loss to Millman, uh, fourth round Australian Open loss last year to Tsitsipas, quarterfinals at the U.S. Open last year as well. I'm not saying... The era of Federer is over because it's like the San Antonio Spurs. You're not counting him out until he's just out of the game. But it's clear, three out of five sets physically, he really needs to pull into his bag now, summon whatever effort he can, all the different funky tricks he's accumulated over the course of his career to grind out a match like this. And that he was able to do it, it's a testament to all that is Roger Federer. Yeah, I mean, look, he found a way to win. It's as simple as that. He did not look great, and, and a lot of that is really credited to Millman and what he was able to do. He made Clearly, he knows how to make Roger Federer very uncomfortable, especially in these sort of settings, right, on the hard court. Of course, he does have a lot of the crowd support behind him. Um, you know, obviously, Federer is used to having most of the crowd behind him, but this time, much more split. Um, you're playing Millman, a guy who's always getting fired up, and, um, you know, of course, he's got the crowd helping him along the way. So a very difficult... Um, environment or at least more difficult than usual for Fred for Federer um, ultimately though you're right he was able to dig deep and get this done and it was not pretty at times even in that tiebreaker even on match point 
you saw he was stretched. He wasn't looking good. The quality of his ball um, wasn't where he probably wish, wished it was. But at the same time, look, he knows what to do. He took a correct guess on match point, got to the forehand side, you know, hit a winner, and that was it. And so he knows how to get through these matches. It's just maybe not as easy as it once was. It's. I'm glad you mentioned that eye test component of it. And look, I feel like we can go in on this a little bit deeper because it's it's crazy. When I put together my outline, I was like, wow, only eight matches for the men and eight singles matches for the women. A lot of doubles action that we're not going to cover. But I was like, this is much, you know, this is much easier, like much more straightforward in terms of get, putting together the outline. And this is obviously the big match. Now you watch the you watch this match, and as easy it is for us to break down, talk about it. Hopefully, we do a good enough job for you listeners to feel as though you've watched the match but there is something too you need to see this match because it did feel as though the Federer slice just hung in the air a little bit longer the forehand just wasn't penetrating the court quite as well as it usually does a lot of those defensive forehands from Federer it while they were loopy he got good elevation on the ball it did feel like they sat a little bit short even on that match point where Milman overcooks the forehand or um he hits the uh, approach down the line, and Federer gets a really easy look at the cross-court pass to win it. I mean, that was just a ball that just sat. Everything for Federer was just sitting a little bit short, and that's something we will be keeping in mind as he progresses through this tournament. Now, again, the draw has sort of opened up for him pretty nicely. You look for Roger Federer in his fourth-round match. I'm sure if I told you, hey, you're going to be playing Marton Fucevic, he'd be like, all right, sign me up for that. Um, but still, it it is something to monitor. Now, on the flip side, we talked a lot of Federer. I do want to say for John Millman you mentioned the crowd one of the strangest crowds I've ever seen because they couldn't figure out they're like oh like we don't want to see Federer lose but we got to root for Millman because he's our Australian guy but oh what happens when we come back two days from now and we're not going to see Federer like I like Millman but do I really like him that much like it is just tennis and so it was a split crowd I mean they were they were just rooting for more and more tennis and a higher and higher level and I think that is why we saw Millman rise to the occasion build that 8-4 lead in the third set breaker now how it went down from there forced error on a Federer approach for 8-5 long point for unforced error from Millman 8-6 unforced error uh, for 8-7 as well and then on the 7-8 point Roger Federer got his double mini break back the one John Millman's going to be kicking himself about Federer hits a poor drop shot on that 7-8 point Millman has a clean look at a forehand pass, and he just overcooks it long for eight all. From there, Federer rolls. I mean, John Millman again was seconds away from winning this match. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you just uh, you know described those key moments in the breaker, and really what it comes down to is just in the key moments he just didn't execute as well as he needed to, honestly. And and it's crazy too because he played such a good match, right? He did so many things correct, and yet it's just a few points. Even with your, I don't know, even with your 8-4 lead, just a few points, and you've let Federer back in the match, and now he's got the upper hand. And so just in a blink of an eye, that happens, despite all of the good work. So unfortunate for Melman, but, um, I mean, realistically, what a phenomenal match. You lose 8-10 in a fifth set breaker to Fed at the Australian. Like, that at face value, that's not too bad. And this isn't something he'll tell his grandkids, but John Millman can say, hey, I was the guy who Federer got his 100th win at the Australian Open over. And for Roger Federer now, he has 100-plus wins at two of the slams, 100 at Wimbledon, 100-plus at Wimbledon, 100 here, 89 at the U.S. Open. You look for him at the French Open, not far off with 70. He's got 80% win percentages at all of those slams. Just for some context, Jimmy, the only three guys who have that sort of number are Federer, 
Nadal, who, by the way, 93-2 and two at the French Open, can't say that enough. That's a 98% win percentage. Just, like, what are we doing? Why are we even playing on clay anymore? And then Novak Djokovic, who actually, you know, 89%. He's at 68 wins, 68 wins, 72-72. I think Novak Djokovic, if he, can t- if he doesn't, you know, get injured, he could create the first 100-100-100 club. And just, like, or even, like, if he goes 100-100-90-90. I mean, to get this many wins at the slams for these three guys, it's just, it bears repeating, these guys are ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's just outrageous, right? And, I mean, look, we, we know that it's not going to last forever. Or I guess we don't know that. We keep saying that, right? Um, but, no, I mean, it, it is pretty exceptional that he was able to do that. And um, you mentioned Novak Djokovic. I think that conversation comes to a lot of things. I think that Djokovic is going to be able to catch Federer in a lot of these categories and, and it's not something that Federer doesn't know he's even mentioned it in press conferences when it comes to you know number of majors once so always keep that in mind Federer knows that that's happening too that's he's also admitted that that's something that's pushing him to be better and better and to win matches but yeah I mean Djokovic is right there and, and I don't think that's a bad take I know this is a this is before our good take bad take hot take <laughs> but not a bad take <laughs> no I, I just I cannot wait for the 100-100 club to be founded. But enough on Roger Federer. We'll talk about him plenty, not only throughout this tournament, but I'm sure throughout the rest of this season. Let's move on to the women's side because the action, in my opinion, better from the WTA side of this event today than the ATP. Let's focus on the two big results. And fortunately for us, they both involve Americans. I think we just talked about Federer, so it's only fitting that we talk about his equal in every way, Serena Williams, who, you know, coming into this tournament on our Tourneytopia, I want you to know there was only one person, Jamie, who didn't predict Serena was going to win this event, and it turns out she is not going to win this event. She loses to the number 20, I believe, 7 seed, Xiang Wang, 6-4, in a match that... I- I really didn't know what to make of it because we just said all of these things about Roger Federer looking a step slow, and he certainly did. All right, but at the same, you know, he certainly did. And then in this match, I think it, the same thing applies to Serena. She looked a step slower. This is not 2008, 2009, 2010 Serena Williams. That being said, I was so confident Serena was going to win this match up until the point that she didn't. Yeah, I mean, she's one of those players who she's never out. You never counter out because we've seen her happen to have this so many times, right? She's not having a good day, and yet she knows how to pull it out. And, you know, unfortunately, just not one of those days today. But, I mean, you start looking at this, and it's not surprising. And if you listen to her press conference at all, you know that how disappointed she was in her performance. Yeah, she talked about how I simply can't play like that ever, right? Like, I, that is unacceptable at this level. And, you know, to some degree, I, I credit her for saying that because, like, yeah, that's fair. You can't go out there and hit 56 unforced errors. Um, compared to somebody who hits 20 and expect that to go your way. So I respect her sort of candor in, in those moments, but yeah, unfortunate to see her go out this way. Yeah, for Serena, look, in particular, when she plays her best, the first serve is popping. And I think that was the thing that was lacking the most today. She only made 56% of her first serve, uh, 170% of those points, which, again, will usually get the job done. But 26 of 52, 50% on the second serve. You look at the break point opportunities, Chang Wang, uh, 3 of 12, so 12 chances for Serena, 1 of 6 now. Serena did fight off a break uh, or did earn a break for herself when she was down 5-4 Wong serving for the match in that second set and you know that was the moment you're like okay 
Serena's got this, but still, it was a little erratic. Same thing. You could tell she was pressing 43 winners against 56 unforced errors. In those moments, crunch time at the end of the second set, she was willing to grind, really extend points, 15, 20 shots, even if necessary. But too often, she tried to go for the big serve plus one. Too often, she ended up just a little bit wide, a little bit long. And for Chang Wang, I mean, 25 winners against 20 unforced errors. She made 63% of her first serves, won 69% of those points. She just was so explosive from the baseline. She really did a good job of finding the outer thirds on Serena. And again, with all due respect, Serena is a superwoman. You will never doubt Serena at a slam until it happens, you know, repeatedly over the course of four, you know, two seasons, maybe I was going to say four slams, but maybe even five, six, seven slams in a row where we see early exits from her. That being said, she was 38 years old, and I think Chang Wang devised the perfect game plan to play someone who you know does not want to be out there moving to the outer thirds the whole time. Yeah, I mean, look, she did a really, really good job executing in this match. You know you're walking out onto Rod Laver playing Serena Williams. You're going to have to come up with a good performance. Let's not even say good. Phenomenal performance. Um, and ultimately, that's what she did, and that's what gets her across the line. Yes, she was helped by the fact that Serena did not play near her best. Um, because, let's put it this way, if, if Serena's playing her best, you're not going to win. Um, so you kind of always need that sort of help. Uh, But ultimately, in terms of her execution, I was very impressed, and she deserves to go to the next round. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, and you look for her, I mean... Again, all of the above for Chiang Wang, it's it's been a slow buildup for her, but she has really come on as of late in her career. You look at just her more recent results, 2018, the big season for her. She gets the first two uh, WTA titles of her career, made four finals that season now since then. She slowly ascended at the slams, third round, second round, third round, and then that quarterfinal she made last year at the U.S. Open before getting blown out by Serena. The thing you respect most is it's so clear how hard uh, Chung Wang worked this offseason to get ready to put herself in another position like this and for her to get that win over Serena after the way she went out in that in that uh, matchup at the U.S. Open. Huge moment for her, and she has a very winnable fourth-round match against Jabour, who knocked off Wozniacki in a match we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but very good run for uh, Wang Cheng, and so it would not shock me uh, to see her, again, make that quarterfinal round extend, maybe even a run to the semifinals, now that her little section of the draw has really asc- uh, descended into chaos. And we will talk about that in a little bit, but the last match we are going to breakdown today. Another result involving a top seed going down, this time the American being the one taking them out, and that of course is the rematch of the blockbuster match everyone had circled all day. The premier match according to ESPN, tennis, Twitter, whatever you were looking, everyone was waiting for this one, and it lived up to the height. Unseated Coco Goff, the 15-year-old American who of course has taken the tennis uh, world's imagination by storm, knocks out number three seed Naomi Osaka. Again, another other player getting uh, revenge for a U.S. Open loss. Not three sets, no. In straight sets this time, 6-3-6-4 in hour seven over the defending Australian Open champion. Just ridiculous stuff, Jamie. 
Yeah, I mean, there's I don't even know where to start, honestly. Um, first of all, an hour seven is a good place to start. I know I'm always mentioning the time of these matches, but are you kidding me? You take yeah, out the ridiculous. defending champ in an hour? Like what? What is going on? Um, and so, and it's not like a defending champ who hasn't you know been playing good tennis. Osaka's looked pretty good. She's looked good in this tournament, and and Coco Golf just did not shy away from that at all. You mentioned it wins three and four. I mean, there's a ton of things to say. I think just diving into the stats, the one that surprises me the most, maybe not surprises when you talk about game styles, but what's staggering to me, I should say, is that she hit six winners in this match and won. Yeah. Coco Goff hit six winners in this match and won in an hour. How's that happen? That's cr- well, so I do want to like, you look at the Infosys plus stats and the forced errors she produced. Now, if you include forced errors, she obviously uh, did a little bit better in terms of putting some pressure on Naomi Osaka. But again, this is another one of those I cannot recommend enough. You really have to go watch this match to understand what happened because not to be disrespectful to Coco Goff, who you look at her rallies, she did have uh, two, uh, only two. Uh, she was minus two on the backhand ground stroke, minus three on the forehand ground stroke in terms of winners and forced errors to un forced errors uh, but I do have to say Naomi Osaka did not play her best tennis in this one by any stretch of the imagination in particular the stat that screams out for Osaka one backhand winner one backhand forced error 12 backhand unforced errors and uh, 14 backhand unforced errors excuse me minus 12 on that backhand wing and that was the story of this match even when uh Naomi Osaka had opportunities to attack a Coco Goff sitter. Uh, The backhand just was misfiring in the net or out wide. She just had these stretches, particularly at the end of each set. When she got broken at uh, 3-4 in that first set, it was because she missed three backhands in a game, two of them in the net, one of them yanked wide and long. And there just was no rhythm for her. Now, the fact that she had no rhythm is 100% a testament to Coco Goff. And the fact that she only hit six winners against, I believe it's 17 unforced is the fact that Coco said, look, I just need to stay stay the course, keep my rhythm, and her rhythm for this match was never to give Osaka three balls on the same side in a row. It would be two loopy balls and then a slice, or two down the line, one cross court, two cross, one line. It was just keeping Naomi Osaka from being comfortable at the baseline, from just slugging away from back there. And then it was protecting her serve. For Coco Goff, she made 75% of her first serves, won 76% of those points, 64% of her second serve points. I mean, to be this well-rounded, to identify so early in her, be able to identify so early in her career, hey, my opponent doesn't got it, doesn't have it today, just stay the course, don't press, don't let the moment get to my head. What maturity from Coco Goff. You can't speak highly enough about this young 15-year-old. No, I mean, look, she knew what she had to do. She went out there, played solid tennis, executed when she needed to, and that's why she gets across the finish line. I mean, three and four, done onto the next one right and and that's crazy to be able to say that's just like yep taking out the defending champ three seed somebody who beat me badly yeah, you know next right like to be 15 year old and be able to do that on this big of a stage while so many people are watching right it's not like she's just you know uh sort of the no name anymore coming out of nowhere everybody is looking for these sort of matchups everybody is talking about you even outside of tennis i have people coming to me asking oh does coco when does coco play next right she's becoming this much of a spectacle and to, for her to live up to that under the amount of pressure she is as a 15 year old it, it's just exceptional 
and yet at the same time, it feels like she's just riding the wave. That she feels none of that pressure at all. That she's just so embrace. She's just embracing those moments out there so much so that she doesn't. She just gets lost in the moment in the tense. Not lost in a bad way, but just she. She's so consumed by, so absorbed by it that it. It's not. It doesn't affect her at all. That's just where she wants to be in. And knocking out the number three seed now, she's going to get a really fun round of sixteen matchup with a fellow young American in number fourteen seed Sophia Kennan. Those are two shot makers, two people who just, they're going to work all of the angles. They're going to work a wide variety of different uh, just different shot selections. So that will be a really fun match to, for us to watch down the line. But yeah, you just, you can't credit uh, Coco Goff enough for this sort of performance. And it's such a special thing. It's why, you know, she's made the third round or better now in her first three slams. And that doesn't happen very often, even less so when the player is 15 years old. So credit to her. What a tremendous result. The match for all the blockbuster hype, it got lived up to the occasion. And you can tell the Australia crowd, they just, they love the young 15-year-old as well. So hopefully, you know, we are looking forward to see- seeing her fourth round match with Kennan and so much of her throughout these next uh, many years on the tennis tour. With that in mind, let's get through the rest of the results, because other than the blockbuster stuff, there was still a lot of good tennis to be discussed. Uh, Let's start with the upsets, of course, and we mentioned Serena goes down, Naomi Osaka goes down. I would argue a third title tender went down today, and that's the number 10 seed, Madison Keys. God, the American women today really stole the headlines, uh, or maybe that's just indicative of me, but for Madison Keys, she's knocked out by the number 22 seed, Maria Sakari, uh, the young Greek player. Now, we talked about this match when we were previewing day six yesterday, Jamie, and we did put Keys on upset alert. We had her favored, but the level between these two over the past you know 12 months, really not that different. Maria Sakari uh, won her first WTA title last Last year, she got inside the top 30. She made three third rounds at a slam last year, but had yet to break through to the fourth round of a slam in her career. And she does just that today, knocking out the number 10 seed in Madison Keys, 6-4-6-4. With the result, she'll move up to a career high of number 20. And while Madison Keys was someone I actually had circled as beating Serena later on in this tournament, that's not going to happen. Uh, but I have to say, I am not shocked by Maria Sakari's level because she has looked really good over these past 12 months. Yeah, no, this is not a shocking one. I mean, I think you think uh, unfortunate because we know how dangerous Madison Keys can be on a hard court. But yeah, this isn't one that is just overtly surprising. And, and it's one that we, we had talked about briefly. Um, I still think, you know, Madison Keys probably had the edge going into that match. But hey, that's not how it worked out. She loses four and four. And um, unfortunately for her, doesn't move on to the fourth of, uh, in Australia. Yeah, and, you know, again, Maria Sakari, you look where she's at in the draw now. She knocks out her top seed, but she's going to have a really interesting matchup in this next one as well. Uh, I believe she is going to take on the number seven seed, Petra Kvitova. Uh, so that, again, these, these matches, as we get further on in the tournament, that we had so many seeds last until this third round. No matter who wins these all-seeded matchups, we're guaranteed to get some really good tennis come the fourth round. Uh, so those were the three upsets on the women's side, uh, Serena Osaka. Saka and Keys. We also had seeds Alexandrova and Rybakina knocked out by higher seeds, but we'll get to those later. On the men's side, we did have a couple of upsets as well. Federer managed to escape 10-8 in the fifth, uh, but we had another five-setter go against a seed, the number nine seed Roberto Autista Agut, knocked out by former Australian Open finalist Marin Cilic, 6-7-6-4-6-0-5-7-6-3. I saw this on tennis Twitter, and I don't remember whom exactly it came from, but for Marin 
Chilich, I think it's the first time he's ever bageled a player ranked inside of the top 25. That's nuts. Like, that that's a remarkable statistic to me. That being said, do you consider this an upset at this point of Chilich's career? Uh, oh, you, you add the tail to that question. Um, <laughs> because generally speaking, seeing Chilich over Batista Agut, no. But from what we've seen from Chilich lately, it's not been the old Marin Chilich, right? It's not the Chilich who took a 2014 major. So that's an interesting way to ask the question. I mean, still, I'm not sure if upset is the right word, though, because this is one we talked about that even if I think it was yesterday we were talking, even if Chilich were to win, which he ultimately did in five sets, it doesn't exactly feel like an upset, right? It's not one like if Millman would have pulled that off over Federer. Now that's an upset. This one? Not really, especially when you think about the experience that Chilich has, particularly at the Grand Slams. Yeah, fun side note. This one did not get to a fun uh, a fifth set breaker, but I see this stat right now on tennis Twitter at Ravi Uba. There have been 17 super breakers at the Australian Open since it was launched last season. Federer's win yesterday was only the second time the player who got to seven second uh, did not win. Or sorry, who got to who wasn't the first one to get to seven. Did not win. John Millman, I should say, was the was only the second time a player who got seven and did not win. The other one was Nishikori versus Karina Busta. Just thought a little interesting thing there uh, for the listeners. But yeah, I think for Marin Cilic, he looks particularly thin. Like, I, I know that that sound, you know, he's never been a guy who's been huge, but he just looks really in shape. And last year, injuries were such a part of the story. I don't think anyone's ever doubted his level, his ability to play a high level of tennis. It's that just body-wise, confidence-wise, none of it matched up last year for him. And he looks slim. He looks fresh. Australia's a place he has had success before. He's going after his forehand. Uh, you look at what he did in this match against Bautista Goot, 24 aces against two double faults, one of his first serve points. More importantly, 76 winners for Chilich against only 54 unforced errors was so good on the forehand wing last night. Uh, I just, if this is the level he's showing, you know, if he's going to go plus 20 in terms of winners and forced errors versus unforced errors on that side, like good luck beating him. Like you're going to lose a set if he's playing this well. Yeah, absolutely. He showed, uh, particularly in, in, in the one where he was able to dominate, particularly in that third set. I know Batista Gut didn't play his best, but reminded us of why Chilich um, is who he is, right? And, and has had success he's had in the past. And, you know, I think he's sending a message to the rest of the field here that he can tear up any portion of this draw and that people need to watch out. And, I mean, I think everybody's receiving that message loud and clear now. Oh, without question. And I think you look for where he's at in the draw now. He is going to take on, uh, I believe, the number 32 seed. And our other upset winner on the day, Milos Raonic, who we said yesterday, there's a scenario where his big serve just to that Tsitsipas one-handed backhand gives Tsitsipas fits and he could take the match. Milos Raonic does just that. 7-5, 6-4, 7-6 over Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas doesn't only not get a set, but for Milos Raonic now, I mean, the guy's about as sure of a thing as you have in Australia since 2015. Quarterfinals, semifinals, quarterfinals, first round loss in 2018, but quarterfinals last year. Now he's going to make at least the fourth round here with a shot to beat Marin Cilic to get to the quarters. I mean, he's a sure thing come Australia because that big serve and volley game, it just works. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is dangerous. We know that. I think really the, the biggest question mark has been um, where is he at? Where how is his body feeling? How is he physically? Um, because if he's in a good if he's in a good spot physically, you know, he can take out anybody with that serve, with the power he brings to the court, and he put that on display with a straight set win over a guy who's been in really good form. I mean, that's impressive. Um, Wow, what a, what a message he's sending to the rest of the field as well. And, you know, of course, you love third round. You know, that's when we start having seeds clash. But we talked briefly about this one, and I know we had mentioned that it's a possibility that Rihanna wins. Still going into this, I didn't expect him to win. And, you know, ultimately, if he was going to win, certainly did not expect it to be straight sets. Yeah, I, I really good result for him. I mean, just was dominant on serve, and that's half the battle. So when you can do that for Stefano Tsitsipas, you have to wonder, did the walkover in that second round hurt that many days off versus Milos Raonic, who's just been in such a rhythm this entire tournament. Uh, but for Tsitsipas, it's back to the drawing board. I mean, third round here, this, this isn't a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly I'm sure he didn't go out in the way he was hoping to for this tournament, and you know he'll lose semifinal points from last year. And so you look in the live ranking, it's not going to crush him. I think he's still sitting right now now at number six, but the guys below him will certainly have a, pa- a chance to pass him if they do well at this event. Uh, that being said, let's move on to the other results because there was other action on the ground. We've talked about all of the upsets. Let's talk about those seeds who got through their matches. Uh, we'll start on the women's side. Uh, the number one seed, Ashley Barty, cruises over Elena Rybakina, 6-3-6-2. Petra Kvitova cruises even more so over 25 seed Ekaterina Alexandrova, 1-2. And, and then, as I mentioned, Sophia Kennan, 5-6 and six over Shui Zhang to reach the second career fourth round at a major, or to reach her second career fourth round at a major. The other two results on the women's side, Ali Risk knocks off Julia Gerges in a wonderful 1-6-7-6-6-2 match that would have gotten a full breakdown had Serena and Naomi Osaka and Federer not, uh, you know, those two who lost Fed pushed to five sets all on the same day. Uh, that was a really fun match, and for Risk, uh, I think now this is the second fourth round at a major in her career coming after she did it last year in Wimbledon. So it's been so fun to see this late career push from her. And then the match that maybe was the heart, most heartbreaking of the day, Caroline Wozniacki's career coming to an end at the hen- hands of On Jabour. Jabour, a 7-5-3-6-7-6 winner. There's a place to talk about Wozniacki. I'm sure we will do, you know, her place in history, all of those sorts of things. We'll have more time to reflect on that after this event. But just some quick surface-level stats for you from her, Jamie. In terms of the Grand Slams, the one title she made, and then she has two finals, four semifinals, three quarterfinals. She was a WTA Finals champion. She has six Premier Mandatory titles. Uh, she also ended the year-end final. Uh, she was year-end number one twice. Uh, Thirty total WTA singles titles on her career. I did some net worth researching on the, some lazy internet research. One source says she's worth thirty million. Another says she's worth one hundred eighty-five million. Have to argue it's probably somewhere in between those two, Jamie. But obviously she did pretty well there. And you just look at the players of her era. The other players who aren't. Serena Williams, who ended a year uh, number one, thus and had a couple of Grand Slams. It's really she's in that Kerber, Azarenka, you know, Simona Halep range, and it, those players, Azarenka, Kerber, a couple of more Grand Slam singles titles, but not as many uh, titles on the WTA tour at large, not as much match play year in year out as we saw out of Caroline Wozniacki. She's right around that group, but certainly one of the top five players I have on my list. It goes of my life time, Serena, Azarenka, 
Kuznetsova, just due to the totality of her career, Simona Halep, Petra Kvitova, and then Caroline Wozniacki. That sound about right to you? Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, especially you've got some, some players who are still playing, so maybe those lists change a tad. But no, I think that's fair. And you know, like you mentioned, I'm sure there'll be many pods in the future where we'll talk about Wozniacki and what she was able to do, what she meant to the sport. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. All the stats you list off, plus the fact that I mean, she was she was world number one for 71 weeks. Um, very impressive. Someone who's been so important to the sport um, and so just relevant in the sport for so long now, uh, such a big chunk of our lifetimes and specifically that when we were invested in tennis. And so, yeah, sad to see her go, but um, not a bad performance on the night. Yeah, I should have clarified, not of my lifetime, of the 2010s I had, because her 2010s were objectively better than Venus's, but, you know, totality of the career, you probably put Venus ahead of her. Yeah, I mean, Caroline Wozniacki, one of the players, this is probably the first time for people in our 25 and under range, you know, Caroline Wozniacki, we've seen her entire career on TV. Uh, This is a player we saw from start to finish. We saw her breakthrough 2007, 2008, 2009 range. Uh, We saw the entire prime of her career over these past 10 years. So yeah, this one feels a little weird. Uh, The same way everyone's going to, you know, Burditch felt a little weird, Ferrer felt a little weird. This is the first time our players we grew up with uh, were seeing retire. So certainly that is something uh, we will be thinking out throughout the rest of this slam. And it was so touching to see the tribute video, all of the nice things, all of different players have said uh, to honor Caroline Wozniacki. Okay, let, let's get to the men results now because, again, just a couple more there to work through. Pretty standard stuff from the rest of the top seeds. Uh, Novak Djokovic saying, oh, you thought Yoshihito Nishioka was going to be a problem for me? Nah, I'm only going to drop like two points on my first serve. He wins 6-3, 6-2, 6-2. 6-2. Fondini, his first easy match of the tournament, 7-6, 6-2, 6-3 Pea. Diego Schwartzman straight sets over the deuce. Dusan Lajevic. Fucevic knocks off Tommy Paul to make the second career fourth round at a slam for him. His first coming in 2018 at the Australian Open. And then finally, Tennis Andgren. Again, another second week for him at the Australian Open as well. He's a 6-4-6-4-6-4 winner over Sam Query. And that takes us to our day six action, Jamie. Our second half of the third round underway. So many good matches to talk about. I had to break it down into different tiers. You tell me if you like... uh, each of the matches I have in these tiers, and then we can get to our good take, bad take, wrong take. Um, I'd call this the primetime tier. Three tiers. There's the primetime tier, there's fascinating young versus in-prime matches, and then there's the obligatory two seeds must monitor at all times. In my primetime tier one, I have three matches. Kyrgios Hachinov, Svitolina Muguruza, and Gofan Rublev. Those to me are, you. Can, if you're awake, you're watching those tonight. Okay, so Fritz team isn't in that for you. That for me is a young versus in prime because I think that it's going to be a good match, but there's a world where team's ball just too big extends Fritz to the outer thirds, Fritz out in straight sets. Plus physically, they both just went five, but Fritz is a little more wary uh, after that five set probably than team against Bolt. Hmm. Okay. So you like that? Primetime tier works? Fair enough. Yeah. All right, and th- my fascinating matches of Young versus In Prime. You mentioned Fritz versus Team. I also have Donna Vekic versus Iga Svatik in there. Yep, another good tier. I'm all right with yeah. that. And then the two-seed must-monitor matches. I promise you I'll spend only 10 minutes watching uh, these two combined, but Isner, Wawrinka, Nadal, Carreno, Busta, just obligatory. You know, you'll flip to it for a second to be like, oh, Nadal's up straights. Oh, wow, Isner, Wawrinka are playing another tiebreaker. Sounds about right. I expect lots of breakers in that one. Yep. 
Yeah, and then Benchich, Kontave, and Pavlichenko, Vapliskova. Again, two-seed matches. It's going to be a really high level of tennis, but with all the other stuff going on, they're just going to be on the back tabs. Yep, it's hard to prioritize those over some of the other uh, phenomenal matches we got, so I'm, I'm, I'm here for that one. Mm-hmm. And then my seeds on upset alert. I have Svitolina, Mertens versus CC Bellis, and then Vekic versus Fatik. Sound good on the women's side? Anyone else you'd add or subtract? No, I think I agree with those. And then for the men, yesterday we had Tsitsipas, Schwartzman, Fonini, and RBA, so we went two for four. I said Gofen on upset alert by seed over Rublev, although who knows if that's really an upset. And then Kyrgios and Hatchinov. Yeah, uh, depending on what you define as an upset, yes, I think that's fair. I would also put team on upset alert just a little bit. He did Ooh. not look that good in his last round. Um, Fritz has got some momentum. Uh, that one could be a little more dangerous than people are anticipating. And they've played twice before on hard mm-hmm. courts at Slam, so they do know each other's game well. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I made my thoughts clear on that. I, I think that's not bad as well. Put a little, a little flag on that one as well. All right, with that in mind, tennis in the books, day five, day six, recapped and previewed. There's only one last thing to do, and we'll do a, a, a bridge version. We're going to try and throw these in now. Right take, wrong take, hot take. Westoff, give me the sound effect, por favor. All right, Jamie, hit me with a take of yours to wrap up. Uh, Let's go two takes each. Two takes each. All right, I will hit you with my first one then. All right. You ready for it? Always. An unseated man will win another match. Ooh. So let me... That's a really good question. Fucevic, Popperin, Golbis, Verdasco, Sandgren, Chilich. Chilich is probably your best bet. Chilich is going up against Raonic, though. Sandgren, Fonini, Verdasco, Zverev, Golbis, Monfils, Popperin, Medvedev. Fucevic fed. I'm an idiot. I forgot to put one match on uh, my upset alert, and that is Monfils Golbus. And not because I think Ernest Golbus is playing better than Gael Monfils, but if you've been following closely on tennis Twitter, at Mike C. Tennis, of course, our friend Mike Cation has reported repeatedly that Monfils injured his hand this offseason, allegedly playing video games, and that that hand has been bothering him. He re-injured it in his first match. It would not shock me at all if Golbus wins tonight, uh, if we see Monfils just either unable to finish or eventually pulling out. But no, if, if unless it's Golbus, Popperin's a no, Verdasco's a no, Sandgren's ooh. I mean, Sandgren and Chilich, they first of all, shot. this is a, so this is a great take. It's not right, wrong, or hot. It's just a great take. Um, it's not really a take. It's a question, um, but a great question. I'm going to say right take. I'm going to say yes. So one, we'll get one more win at least from an unseeded player. I like that. All right. Damn. Very good. That was. I don't feel good about my takes at all. That was really <laughs> good. Yeah, that was like, well, my why am I might even be better, here? So. <laughs> okay. Here's my take for you going into today's match. And I, I'm not sure if I asked you this yesterday, so please remind me if I did. Tennis Sandgren ends up with a better career-high singles ranking than Steve Johnson. Steve Johnson reached a career high of number 21. You look at Tennis Sandgren, where he's at right now, even with making the round of 16, he's sitting at number 73. His career high came uh, last year when he reached number 41. Mm. I, mm, I honestly think that's a good take. Um, <laughs> I honestly think that's a good take because We've seen what he can do in majors. I know they flash that stat, specifically comparing and contrasting him with Zverev in his matchups. He can get some big-time points from his major performances. And, I, I mean, yeah, you, you think about the fact he is 28. That's difficult. Um, oh, I, that's not a bad take, though. I, that's definitely possible. That's definitely possible. 
It's an interesting one. All right, give me your last one. All right, here we go. A non-European will win the men's or women's draw cannot be from Russia. We don't get to do the is Russia part of Europe debate for the 17th time. We're not playing that game. (laughs) You cannot include somebody from Russia, but a non-European will win the men's or women's draw. I know. I'm just looking through the draws. So the answers on the men's is you'd have to believe in Schwartzman. I love you, but no, Diego. Milos, no. No, Diego, no. Hey, great shot. No, Diego, no. (laughs) I love tennis, but not Sandgren. Um, Not Isner. And it can't be a Russian? No. You Basically, you need Brownich or Curios is who you need on the men's side. Uh, so on the men's side, this is great. But this is men's These questions women. have been good, Jamie. You have locked in for these segments. i got to step up my game. Um, for the women's, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say it's very, 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 very possible that we have a non-European winner. Although I picked Pliskova. So I'm, I'm sticking with that pick, but I'm just saying it's very, very possible. For the men's side, no. I hate to say it. I, and if we're, if I'm not allowed to include Russia, then I, I think it's either going to be, you know, the non-big three answers would be Dominic Team or Daniil Medvedev. And it's like, I don't, you know, those guys are from Europe, according Correct. to you. Well, so, um, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm going to say no to the men. Hmm. Um, the take uh, is really... or, though. So if you believe in the women, then you would agree yeah. with this take. Yeah, that's... Oh, then I'm going to say yes. Then All I'm going right. to say yes. Very good. good take. Great Very take. Good. Right right take, I should say. Okay. So, my last one for you. We are one of our primetime matches, Nick Kyrgios versus Karen Hatchnov. Right take, wrong take, hot take. Nick Kyrgios will violate his probation tonight and end this match getting suspended for the next month on tour. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I... He might do something borderline. I would be incredibly shocked if that actually happened, and that's how they ended this match. I don't, mm, I don't see that happen. It's, it's in play, but I think he's been too. Well, he he was, hmm, he's been locked in. He was doing some goofing around with Simone. I think there's a chance that he blows up. I don't think he's going to blow up to the point that it will violate, and that's the match. Yeah, I don't think that's so- how this one ends. But but I'm saying but it doesn't have to. If, I think if he even gets a point penalty, he ends up suspended. But would that end the match? No 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 no. But wouldn't he yeah. get suspended for the next one? So hypothetically, he could be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm not playing." Wow. Mm. Or maybe he just gets suspended after the tournament. Yeah, maybe that's the play. I mean, it, it's possible him blowing up to a point where it, it it hinders him further in the tournament or defaults him in some way. I'm going to say no. Suspension yeah, I agree. Post Australian Open, that's in play. It is a hot take, but I also think it's the wrong take, and it's because I think he's going to win tonight. Uh, and just being with that home crowd has seemed to keep him in check thus far in 2020. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping nothing changes. All right. With that in mind, we hope you guys are ready for another night of Australian Open action. And of course, with all of that action comes a mini break podcast, which we will be back with throughout this weekend and throughout all of the two weeks, uh, every day of this two week slam. We want to give a shout out to our friends at Diadem Tennis for, you know, partnering with us to allow us to give us the opportunity to do these sorts of things each and every day. If you haven't already, be sure to go check out their website. Use our promo code CR50 to get 50% off all of their wonderful racket string technology. Uh, Again, it's 50% off not just your first order, but every order. And we all know how expensive that stuff can get. It all adds up. You break a, what's it called? What's the top part of the ring of the racket called where you're breaking? Oh my God, I'm 
I can't believe this. I'm blanking out on this term, Jamie Westhoff. Leave all of this in. Um, oh my god, when they have to re- up on a grommet, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, sometimes you wow. break your grommet, and uh, is- they're yeah, they're gonna they're <laughs> gonna fix it for you. So that's a deep cut for all of you real tennis fans. No better grommet than the stuff at Diadem Tennis. Uh, of course, also shout out to our, our friends at Aerobar. Shout out to our super producers Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff for the f- of an editing job they have to do not just tonight, but they've done throughout these entire uh, first Grand Slam of the year. Of course, we are also aware this weekend it's not just Australian Open tennis; it's college tennis. And for all of your ITA kickoff coverage, be sure to go check out the most recent Great Shot podcast I did with our two college tennis covering uh, reporters, I suppose reporters, Chris Halliors and Matt Stokowiak. You're not going to want to miss that episode because, as always, we hit it all. Jamie, we hit it all in this one, and as always, I'm appreciative of you spending a lunch break with me. Any final thoughts? No, I'm excited for tonight, and uh, here we go again. I'm excited for our weekend GSP as well. That one's going to be a ton of fun. Here we go. Again, that's right. We do have a video on tap this weekend. So listeners, you can become viewers by being on the lookout for just that. But for my wonderful co-host, James Fulston McDonald, for our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, from our friends at Diadem Tennis and Aerobar, and from all of us here at Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. James Foster, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 